In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from Psalm 106. So if you want to turn your Bible to Psalm 106, we'll start from verse 28. Psalm 106, it's like a national confession. David here is confessing the sins of the whole country before God. And at the end, he concluded with a prayer of forgiveness and mercy and salvation. He mentioned their sins in Egypt and the wilderness of Sinai. From verse 28, he continued to mention their sins. Let's read verse 28. They, the children of Israel, joined themselves also to Baal of Beor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Verse 28 speaks about their sin in Baal of, ba- of Baur. If you want to read the whole story, it's in the book of Numbers, chapter 25. Book of Numbers, chapter 25. But let me give you a quick summary. When Bil'am wanted actually to curse the children of Israel, and he could not because God stopped him. So he went to the king of Moab and told him, if you want to defeat Israel, here is the key. Send women to entice and to seduce the children of Israel. And if they fall in sin with them, God will depart from them. Then you can defeat the children of Israel. That's exactly what happened. Young women of Moab enticed the men of Israel to sexual immorality and after this to idolatry and they worshipped Baal of Baal. The children of Israel joined in their devotions and they shared in the rites of the idol worshipping. So they worshipped Baal with the Moabites, with their the women and also they offered sacrifices to Baal. Even after their long continued enjoyment of the protection of God, God of Israel, and after God had guided them safely through the wilderness of Sinai, and after he had brought them to close to the border of the land of Canaan, and all his promises were about to be fulfilled, the children of, of Israel it still showed a tendency to depart from God and worship idols. And in their idolatry, the eight sacrifices made to the dead. As we read in verse 28, the eight sacrifices made to the dead. Who are the dead? Dead here means the heathen gods, the idols, in contrast to God, the only true God and the living God. So these false gods are dead. Verse 29, Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. So they provoked God to anger 
God confirmed his displeasure at this by sending a plague among them, which in a little time killed 24,000 of those sinners, as we read in the book of Numbers, chapter 25 and verse 9. So God sent a plague as a judgment against the Israelites. Verse 30, Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. What happened? One of the Israelites dared to bring a Moabite woman very, very close to the tabernacle of meeting, in front of Moses and all the children of Israel. You can read this story in book of Numbers 25, from verse 6 to verse 9. Then Finhas was a priest. He was very zealous. How he bring this woman near the tabernacle and commit adultery in front of everybody. So he killed both of them. And here the plague was only stopped when righteous Finhas brought God's judgment against this man and the Moabite woman at or near the tabernacle itself. This act of righteousness stopped the plague, as we read in verse 30. Then Finhas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. The zeal of Finhas was an act of faith, and in recognition of his righteous act, God made a covenant of an everlasting priesthood with Phinehas and his descendant. You can read this in book of Numbers, chapter 25, from verse 10 to verse 13. That's why in verse 31 from this psalm, and that was accounted to him, to Phinehas, for righteousness to all generations forevermore. To all generations forevermore. Because in the midst of this darkness, idolatry and sexual immorality, the holy work and the jealousy of Phinehas would never be forgotten. St. Augustine says, whether Phinehas did this out of hatred or not, St. Augustine says, if he, Phinehas, had done this from hatred toward them, toward this man and this woman, and not from love and zeal for the house of God, Definitely, God would not accept this. But because zeal for the house of God has pierced his heart, that's why it was counted for him as righteousness. And St. Augustine continues and says, God counted that for Phinehas, for righteousness forevermore, for he knows how to weigh the love in the heart of his servant. So God knew that Phinehas acted this way because he loved God and he was zealous for God. Also, St. Cyril of Jerusalem says, If Phinehas, by his holy jealousy, appeased the wrath of God by killing the evildoer, the Lord Jesus, who killed no one, but rather he gave himself a ransom for all, has appeased the wrath of God the Father against humanity. Verse 32 speaks about another sin. 
they angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses on account of them, because they rebelled against his spirit, so that he spoke rashly with his lips. This sin is the murmuring at Mariba, and you can read it in the book of Numbers, chapter 20. What is the story? Again, there was no water, and the Israelites provoked Moses to anger. They angered Moses at Mariba by their complaining and contention, although God took good care of them. And God commanded Moses to speak to the rock, and God promised to miraculously provide water from the rock. But Moses doubted that if he speaks to the rock, water will come. After all what God had done. So he did not speak to the rock as God commanded. But in anger, he struck the rock twice. And God provided water. But since Moses doubted God and misrepresented God, therefore, Moses was denied entrance to the promised land. So this sin is placed in the psalm as a climax, because in this case Moses was involved in the sin of Israel. All of them, they provoked God to anger. That's why God said Moses and Aaron will not enter the promised land. And here, the faith and patience of Moses, the leader, who had endured so long, unfortunately, at last, despaired. And the cause of God's anger and Moses' punishment was the rebellion of the Israelites against the guidance of the Spirit of God. And the rash utterness of Moses, which was its consequence because of their complaining. So Moses hit the rock and said, do you think that from this rock water will come out? So although Moses was a very meek man, meeker than any person upon the face of the earth, as we read in the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verse 2, yet being greatly provoked by the children of Israel, he did not bear with them as he should have done. And he did not refer to God and to his power and to his goodness as he should have done. St. Augustine comments on Moses' anger and says, What is spoke doubtfully? As if God, who had done so great wonders before, could not cause water to flow from the rock. So how Moses doubted that God can bring water from this rock? For he touched the rock with his rod with doubt. Even when he hit the rock, he was doubting. And thus distinguished this miracle from the rest, in which he had not doubted. So in all other miracles, Moses did not doubt God. But in this one, he doubted God. He thus offended, and thus deserved to hear that he should die without entering into the land of the promise. 
for being disturbed by the murmurs of this unbelieving people, he held not fast that confidence which he hoped to have held. So although of, of holding this confidence in God, unfortunately, Moses doubted. That's why, again, I'm going to reread verse 32 and 33. They angered him, they angered God also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses on account of them, because they rebelled against his spirit. They rebelled against the spirit of God, so that he spoke, he, Moses, spoke rashly with his lips, because he doubted God. Verse 34, another sin. They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them. So when the Israelites came into the promised land, now he finished all the sins in the wilderness of Sinai. From verse 34, after they entered the promised land. So when they entered the promised land, God commanded them to destroy the Canaanites nations living in the land. And they continued in their disobedience even after entry into Canaan. For example, in Judges chapter 1 verse 21, we read, But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Same chapter verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages, and Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dur and its villages. The same chapter, Judges 1, verse 29, Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. Same chapter, verse 30, Nor Zebulon drive out the inhabitants of Ketron. Verse 31, same chapter, nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko. Same chapter, verse 33. Nor did Neftali drive out the inhabitants of Beit Shemsh. Verse 35. Nor then drive out the Amorites, who were determined to dwell in Mount Heres, in Ajilon, and in Shalbim. None of the tribes obeyed God. By why God wanted to drive out all the Canaanites. God wanted the Israelites to mock war against the Canaanites to serve his purpose of judgment. Judgment against the Canaanites. So they should have been a tool in the hand of God to judge these nations that worshipped idols. Also, God wanted the Canaanites to be removed so they would not be an evil influence upon the Israelites leading them into the worship of their idols and their evil ways. So when Israel failed to do so as God commanded them, what happened? The Canaanites influenced the children of Israel to follow them in their evil and wicked deeds, and they corrupted the people of God. That's why in verse 35 we read, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. Learned their works. Verse 36, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. 
verse 37 is scary. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. That what the Gentiles used to do. They used to bring their children, either burn them as sacrifices to the idols, to the demons, or kill them as a sacrifice. That's why in verse 38 he says, they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. So the command to destroy the Canaanite, which may seem severe, but undoubtedly, without any doubt, it was based upon God's foreknowledge of the fact that otherwise there would be contact or mingling between Israel and the Canaanites. And because of this contact or mingling, there will be contamination and evil influence. And this was an illustration of the danger of being mingled with the wicked and the worldly. And as St. Augustine says, they're not destroying them, but mingling with them became to them an offense. When they did not destroy them and mingled with them, this was an offense. They served their idols of gold and silver, wood and stone, the work of man's hand, these senseless creatures. And they served those which they were ordered to destroy, those who knew the true God and were his servant, the children of Israel, served the, the idols of the nations driven out before them. And one of the worst examples of the evil influence is sacrificing their sons and their daughters to demons. Many people say how God ordered Israel to kill every single person in the land of Canaan, even the, the innocent children. Think about it. The people of Canaan, anyway, they kill their children and offer them as sacrifices. So either way, they will be killed. But when the Israelites did not kill every single person in Canaan, who also was sacrificed to the demons, the children of Israel, the infant of Israel. So at least this would spare the sons and daughters of Israel from being sacrificed to the demons and, and burned in fire. So who are the demons here in plural tense? It is the unclean spirits, the angels submitted to Satan. And these are the idols that the Gentiles were worshipping. That's why we read in Leviticus chapter 18 verse 21, And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Moluk, or you shall profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Because they used actually to bring their sons and daughter and burn them in fire as a sacrifice to the idols. That's why God said to them, don't do this to your children. But when they did not remove the Canaanites, they start to worship idols and start actually to offer the children, little children, sons and daughters of Israel as a sacrifice 
to the demons. Also, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Which way? In the way of the Gentiles. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. The, the way they worship the idols is abomination to the Lord, because God will never accept a human sacrifice. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31. The Canaanites had been condemned to be destroyed for their evils, but Israel failed to take warning from their fate. And this innocent blood of these sons and daughters was shed, the blood of those who had committed no crime, who did not deserve the treatment which they received to be burned as sacrifices to the demons. That's why the land was polluted with blood. Until justice prevailed, the blood of the innocent murderers cry out to God. As the Lord said about the blood of Abel, is crying to me. And this blood of innocent, the innocent blood, pollutes a nation in the eyes of God. Shedding innocent blood pollutes the whole nation in the eyes of God, as we read in the book of Numbers, chapter 35 and verse 33. In both the atmosphere they allowed to mingle with the Canaanites, and the deeds they did by offering their sons and daughters as sacrifices to the idols and worshipping the idols, the Israelites defiled themselves by their own works. That's why we read in verse 39, thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. Why played the harlot? Because they are bright to God. So worshiping another God, there is no other God, but the false God, like uh, this is spiritual adultery. That's why the Lord said they played the harlot by their own deeds. So the heathen work, the work of the Gentiles, now had become their own work and made them defiled and polluted people and became spiritually adulterous, deserted God, and were unfaithful to God. Verse 40. Thus the wrath of God was kindled against his people, so that he abhorred his own inheritance. The wrath of God, the wrath of the Lord. Many people nowadays, they teach that there is nothing called the anger of God or the wrath of God. That's false teaching. Here, very, very clearly, there is punishment, there is wrath. The wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people so that he abhorred his own inheritance. So God's wrath here righteously burned against the Israelites for all the sins mentioned in this long psalm. It justly increased God's anger that the sinners were his own people, his own inheritance. What actually provoked the rest of God more that who are these sinners? His own inheritance, his own children, 
whom he had redeemed with many miracles, many powerful acts, but they rebelled against him. So he abhorred his own inheritance and gave them over to severe correction. He left them to the just results of their own conduct. That's why you read in verse 41, and he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles, and those who hated them ruled over them. He gave them into the hands of the Gentiles. This is the great lesson taught by the Jewish history. When a nation sins, this nation delivered over to its enemies, partly for judgment and punishment, and partly to lead them to repentance. Here we find that the Israelites mingled with the Gentiles, learned their works from them, and willingly they took their sins and applied them to their life. That's why God justly and fairly made use of the Gentile to correct, to punish, to discipline the Israelites, hoping that they repent. As we read in the book of Judges, chapter 4 and verse 3, their enemies also oppressed them. We read it here in verse 41, and those who hated them, the enemies ruled over them. And in verse 42, their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand, under the hand of their enemies. We read that the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Judges 4, verse 3. In book of Judges, chapter 10, verse 8, from that year they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. Here, God delivered them to their enemies in order to discipline them. Verse 43, many times God delivered them. If you read the book of Judges, many times God delivered them. After they were oppressed, they cried to the Lord and God delivered them. But they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquities. So many times, many times God delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquities. Again, Israel's ingratitude is once again mentioned. God delivered them so many times but they rebelled again so many times. This seems to refer to the time of the judges, when God many times raised up deliverers and delivered them, yet they relapsed to idolatry. Such ingratitude could not go forever unanswered or unpunished. In time, after much long suffering from God, Israel was brought low for their iniquities. St. Augustine says, man's counsel would be destructive to him if he seeks his own counsel, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. Verse 44, Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction 
when he heard their cry. And for their sake, he remembered his covenant and he relented according to the multitude of his mercies. After he describes God's correction of Israel in the previous verse, the word nevertheless in verse 44 is very strong because a wonderful, gracious forgiveness. Not because he deserved it, but because of the endless mercies of God. So despite the judgment, they will deserve it. God regarded their affliction and remembered his covenant. See how amazing God is. As God heard the cry of his people when they suffered oppression in Egypt, so also when they suffered oppression in the book of Judges and cried to God, as we read in Judges chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 10, and also in 1 Samuel chapter 12, God remembered that covenant and he came and delivered them. Which covenant? The covenant that was made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The covenant that he will give them the promised land. The covenant that he made with Adam and Eve that the son of woman will crush the head of the serpent. The covenant that he made with all of us by his own blood on the cross. So here we can see God could have dealt with Israel only on the basis of their sin and his righteous judgment. And it could be different for Israel. But while not ignoring their sin, God decided to deal with them according to the multitude of his mercies. Not according to what they deserve, but according to the multitude of his mercies. That's why every time Abuna bring the day of judgment in the divine liturgy, we respond and say, according to your mercy, O Lord, not according to our sins. And this is a great lesson to all of us when we deal with each other. Sometimes when we deal with each other, we deal according to what we believe the, the other deserves. But let's be gracious and deal with mercies, not based on what we believe that the other deserves. Although God is not a man who may change his mind, but he is a gracious God who has compassion on us and changes his ways. That's why it says here, he relented according to the multitude of his mercies in verse 45. He relented according to the multitude of his mercies. Verse 46, he also made them to be pitted by all those who carried them away captive. God actually decided to deliver them. But one aspect of God's mercy to Israel was after he delivered them to captivity, he gave the Israelites favor with the nations where they suffered exile. So those who carried them away captive felt sorry for Israelites, for the captives, and treated them gently. Is what we did with Daniel and the three young men and how Cyrus gave them liberty as we read in Azra chapter 1 verse 4 and 6 and how the king sent back Nehemiah and helped him to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple 
as we read in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. God has the hearts of the king, has the heart of all men in his hand. That's why he can turn them as it pleases God. So he turned the hearts of the kings of this nation that took Israel captive to pity them. And David mentioned this in a prophetic way that he also made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. Now David is concluding this psalm, verse 47, by a prayer, beautiful prayer. After he said all this confession, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. This prayer is the point to which this long confession of national sins has been leading up to. So he made all this confession to get into this prayer. So this historical part of the psalm ends here. And David returned to the topic of prayer. In the beginning verse of this psalm, it was a personal supplication, an introduction. But here at the conclusion, it's not a personal supplication. It is a general prayer for the entire nation, not for himself, especially for deliverance from captivity in a prophetic way. So David rightly took those early small mercies. So the mercies that God has shown to Israel as basis to boldly ask for greater mercies that God gathered them from among the Gentiles and returned them to their land. And in a prophetic way, that God may deliver us from the captivity of Satan. And those who are in Hades, God bring them to the paradise of joy. And in response to God's mercy, he said to give thanks to your holy name. This is spoken of as the consequence of gathering together. Like now we thank God for he opened the paradise and delivered Adam and his sons and his children from Hades to the paradise of joy. So David predicted that God's people would respond gratefully and breaking the previous pattern of ingratitude after they were not grateful to God, but in response to all these mercies, they repent and they break this pattern of ingratitude. They would not forget the name of God, but triumph in his praise, as he said, to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Verse 48, the last verse, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord, which is Alleluia. David did not wait until God delivered Israel from captivity. But in verse 48, he started to thank God and praise God, as if this deliverance already happened. So the praise started immediately and would be given to God from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity to eternity, means now and forever, now and hereafter, in time 
and to all eternity, from this world to the world to come. Amen. Let people join in prayer and in thanksgiving that God may hear and answer. Let them all express it and declare it. That's the meaning of Amen. So Amen means let the people join in prayer, in thanksgiving, that God may hear the praise and thanksgiving of the people. Let all the people express thanksgiving and gratitude and declare it. So the word Amen here is a word expressing consent and approval, meaning Amen means verily, truly, certainly. Then he said, Alleluia. Alleluia, Hallelu means praise. Ya Jehovah. So Alleluia means praise Jehovah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So these two words, Amen, Alleluia, are joined together also we read it in Revelation, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 4. This was the song in, in heaven. Amen, Alleluia. This psalm, Psalm 106, ends with a prayer as it started with a prayer. And as I said before, the book of Psalm is divided into many books. So Psalm 106 is the last one of the fourth book of the Psalms. The fourth book of Psalms from Psalm 90 to Psalm 106. So Psalm 107 will begin the fifth book of the book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms was divided into several books. This concludes actually Psalm 106. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.